fucking knew that's what it was going to be. Was there any other way to start the podcast this week? I had to go with something like this. I had to remind you boys that America are the champions of the Riders' Cup. You two European lovers, you two old men, you're probably sitting at home now with a, uh, a cup of tea and a blanket on. It's a bit late for you old men, but uh, yes, I just wanted to start the podcast by saying well done, USA. Well done on winning the Ryder Cup. Best two weeks and probably the best event in, in two years of golf, I've got to say, and uh, certainly going to be the theme for what we talk about tonight. So welcome, men. What were your thoughts on the Ryder Cup? Yep, it was an annihilation. That's really all you can can say. Hats off to America. Better team won. No complaints. Um, from a spectacle perspective, I'd like to have been a bit closer, but uh, you can't you can't take anything away from the Americans. Amazing performance. Absolutely dominant. Grant, as a, uh, a you know your, your old man European team, I'm surprised you're still awake at 9:05 p.m. as we film this and uh, or record this in New Zealand. How are you? How are you feeling? That's harsh. Oh, yeah, boy, didn't they get an absolute hiding? Um, and they they did just look like old men, to be honest. Um, I've thought about it since in the couple of days since it's finished now, and um, looking back in hindsight now. It just seemed so obvious, really, what was going to happen. I, I, I mean, well, I'll freely admit it was really blind loyalty. Now, I think that had me backing Europe, because really, watching it from from midnight last Friday night, um, it was obvious from within the first hour that that, that it was only ever going to go one way. Um, and yeah, and that that's just what happened. Um, super, super impressed with the Americans. Really, really was. Um, there's just a whole different vibe to that team that I've never seen in a US Ryder Cup team before. And I, yeah, I just thought it was terrific. Good I mean, I, I do agree. I mean, obviously, I, I backed the US to, to produce a pretty big result. I didn't go all the way to 199. I did go 16 12. But I guess I just looked at it and thought, how could they not win? The team was better on paper, it was younger. They'd lost too many times. I'm not sure if you guys caught the uh, interesting uh, interview Patrick Cantlay did before the event when he talked about playing uh what was he playing some gin. card gin and he's basically gin. saying that the better player can lose a lot of times but if you play enough times the better player will win and I, he was quite complicated in what he was saying a poor old dustin johnson had a brain aneurysm trying to <laughs> pick it up i think but <laughs> essentially what he was saying was that the Euro- americans have always been better it's just the europeans are on a run and i don't know if i believe that completely but i think every team you know eventually if you're better players you should win most events and I think we talked about the key to the year. I know I did certainly. The key to the US victory was getting off to a good start, not letting that, that European momentum get going. Obviously, not being at a European course, you know, they didn't have that that crowd behind them like they do normally. And and I think ultimately, it was just a much better team. Well, five years younger. Uh, I think we'll talk about it a little bit later on, but more captains' picks, which maybe led to more hot players. Um, certainly, a team more suited to the course, and a course probably that suited Americans. That's something else we'll break down later on. Is is should the course be a big part of Ryder Cup, you know, to go and win away from home. So, though, in the end, look, it was, a, I guess, just I wanted to pick up on the spectacle of the event. I, I kind of talked a little bit down on the Ryder Cup a couple of weeks ago. I kind of mentioned that it wasn't the important event to me and, you know, not being one necessarily American or European, but I've actually changed my tune. I mean, Rory, the emotion that I saw from Rory when he was crying when he lost, I, 
it is the biggest event in golf. I've got no doubt about that anymore. Unfortunately, it, it probably beats the majors now by a long way, but I'm not sure you guys take on that. You mean when Rory won? Do you mean well, think- well just, just the emotion about how much it meant to him. I mean, mm-hmm. he was in, he was, you know, basically in tears. I thought, I actually thought someone in family had died or something. Like he yeah. was talking about like how he'd survived that day. And I thought, oh God, someone's mm-hmm. died and he's gone out and played. And he was just so upset about losing. Yeah, well, yeah, and he was upset, really. I mean, he'd he'd won his singles match. He was upset, really, about, I think he felt that he'd let the team down in the first two days in, in the manner in which he'd played. Uh, and he, and to be fair, he, he he didn't play all that well. But, yeah, like you say, Casey, it, you know, as he said, it is, to him, the most important thing in golf. It, it, and you saw that with uh, Shane Larry. In fact, I think that was the, the most refreshing thing to me is you saw it from the Americans, too. And, okay, they, they show it in a different way, but to me, the attitude they the, the the attitude they showed, the demeanour they had, like the the chugging beers on the tee, the just that kind of younger, hippers kind of edgier vibe that they all brought to it. That was obviously them being themselves. They weren't they weren't constrained, as maybe they've been previously. That that to me showed that they that they really are kind of taking charge themselves. And I know the commentators talked a huge amount about Justin Thomas becoming kind of like the the spiritual leader of that team, and it, it does. To me, it looks more like it reflects their personalities rather than, say, the way the PGA or it or the USGA want them to look. Well, I think that's a fair point. And, and you know, the, whilst the captains have actually been around for a while, they can, I think the captains are basically moving around the ultimate captain between a group of three or four of them. It, it's always going to be the players that are the true leaders. And I guess yeah. with the likes of Phil not being there as a player, someone had to step up. And by all accounts, mm. you know, Thomas was one of those, probably Spieth too. You know, they probably are sick of losing. You know, these are the best players mm. in the world who have been laughed at from Ryder Cup for a while. So, mm. no, I, th- I think it was, I mean, it wasn't even close, to be honest. It could have been 21, 22 at some point in the day. So, yeah. no, I mean, I, I thought it was amazing. What about the um, the course? I mean, that was a star of the show too. We talk about how we wish more golf tournaments were played at these unique places. Now, I don't think these places want to host annual events necessarily because it takes away from their revenue and probably kills their course. But... I mean, that place was outstanding. I mean, I, if more golf was played at those resorty kind of courses, it would only be good for the game. Amazing. I thought it was one of the singularly most interesting golf courses that they've played anywhere on the planet all year. Um, and obviously, we've seen Whistling Straits before, but it was amazing. Like, some of the lies you got there and just, yeah, when you hit it in trouble, you genuinely had some trouble. But that, again, that was clever by the Americans to go there because I think there was genuine advantage. And if you were going to hit it in trouble, it was better to be 350 metres down the, in the rough than there was to be 300 metres in the rough. Um, but, yeah, the course was awesome. Interesting holes, lots of potential different outcomes depending on what it was. Yeah. I think it's, you can certainly make some really interesting course decisions when you are playing in a pure match play event, right? You can set up more drivable par fours, things like that, because you don't care about the score. You don't care under par. You no. don't care about any of that stuff. And I, and I think that shows in that course you had the options to do that. And the rough to me wasn't that penal. Obviously, it was some very deep rough that was kind of ball lost style. But the actual rough off the fairway was kind of something I'd, re- I'd feel like you get it like a mirror way in New Zealand where the ball nestles down, but it's not really gone. Pros probably suffer more because they can't control the spin, but I mean, it did not seem like that penal rough where you can't see the top of the ball. When I say rough, I was kind of meaning more the bunkers. Oh, okay, yeah. Like there was just bunkers and like random small bunkers in the middle of nowhere with uncut tussock over the top of it or rough. 
Like you, you, you didn't get a nice smooth bunker lie anywhere. There was all there was some type of impediment in your way, and that was great. I love that. Well, there is a school of thought that you know there's more than one pro, more than the old you know, one pro's head that maybe bunkers shouldn't be as manicured and raked as, as they are traditionally on the PGA Tour. I mean, they're probably not like that for the amateur golf on a Saturday, and yet the pros who are better in bunkers get these nice fluffy bunkers, and I, I kind of see that. I know it. I think it might have been Barn Bugle doesn't rake the bunkers all that much. Um, I think yeah. they, they have a rule that if you're in a footprint, you can move it. But ultimately, the hazard becomes a hazard. And uh, yeah, I think in those windswept places, you're probably fighting a losing battle trying to mm. to keep them manicured. But I mean, yeah, you're right. The bunkers were the hazard there and some of those particular small bunkers and lies. And I think it's great. I mean, it just looked different. The, the amphitheater of some of those holes with the, the ups and downs and the natural stadium effect, it was amazing. Um, the first tee, I mean, Jesus, that experience. I mean, it's actually quite a strange event to watch, right? Because there's only four four groups go out or four games. So you really have to pick and choose your spots as to how you'd watch it if you were there live. Mm. Yeah, definitely. So the question I suppose I had on the course, though, is, I mean, if the assumption is that the, the home team gets a fair bit of say in how they set it up, is that an acceptable part of the Ryder Cup to you guys, just like test cricket or whatever sport in terms of setting the course? Or do you think an independent body should have more say. I mean, because I guess the question is, can, can a team take it too far in setting up a course? No, I think it, I 100% I think if, you, if it's if it's your home course, you, for the, you're England or Europe, they have the right to set it up to suit their players. I mean, there there are basic rules. You, you have to have 18 holes. You have to have, a, it's within a certain par, par, whether that be 70, 71, 72, whatever it is. So, I mean, there are basic parameters there, but then it's up to up to each individual country to take it to a course that suits their players, suits their setup. When when you go to when we go to Rome in two years' time, I would imagine, and well, I heard them them mentioning it in the, the coverage. It's likely to be a much shorter course, a, a course that that doesn't suit the long hitting style that, that the Americans um, prefer, and so Europe will go out of their way to, to set it up in a way that suits them. And I don't have a problem with that um, at all. Um, th- like this, to me, this course was just the perfect setting for a Ryder Cup. Y- yeah, it's harder to win away without the fans, but it had all, everything you needed. It had the drivable par fours. It just had jeopardy on every hole. And that's what you want in a match play is you want, you want to know that there's going to be an, an, an unknown outcome on the hole. Whereas your average, if you set it up on your average PGA Tour thing, most pros are going to probably make a par at worst and they're going to be looking for a birdie. And this, you just never really knew from one shot to the to the next where, where the ball was going, particularly with, when you added a little bit of wind into the equation. So I thought it was perfect. And I, I don't have a problem at all with the Americans taking it to a course like that. I, I thought it just makes for a brilliant spectacle. No, I, I tend to agree. I mean, the one thing with golf is you're going to know where the Ryder Cup is four or six years in advance, whatever it is. So. Yeah. You can't sort of hide a pitch like you can in test cricket and bamboozle yeah. someone. Like you're going to know, so you've also got the equal chance to probably build your team around that. And yep. we may talk about that in a second around kind of did the Europeans pick the wrong team? And I, you know, I think just finishing up with the course though, my, my gut feeling on the course is that the course of the Ryder Cup should be a special course that you don't go to regularly. And I believe that's generally the way it's done. I do mm. hope it doesn't go to a mm stock standard kind of run of the mill course because I think it's the intrigue factor that that goes with with you know having not seen a course for a, for a long time and this Rome course is probably a good example I 
you know, I wouldn't, I don't know if they ever host big tournaments there. Although they did host a PGA a European tour, didn't, didn't they? But no, I, I don't have a particular problem. I thought the course was set up, you know, wonderfully for fun. I mean, the match play format um, just suits those risk reward holes. And I think oh, what I did want to finish on with the course is those par threes along the water. I mean, I'd still be playing them. I'd probably still be in hole five, I think. So, the first one is, I don't know if I would have finished my first round yet. The greens they were heading into, some of the pin positions there, can you imagine us trying to play those, even from the front tees? I mean, we, we, when you think, Casey, of the struggles we had with the par threes at, at Cary Cliffs, say, for instance, yet you look at those ones there, like you say, I, it could take me six months to hit a green. On one Especially if you're hitting at 220 yards or whatever you are. <sighs> yeah. Man. It was one of the par threes. I think it was the first par three on the back, on the back nine. And the first day they played it, um, at the very front, and it was kind of almost in a bowl, and it was it was a wedge, it was a wedge, and then they were they were pretty much pulling the ball back pretty close, predominantly across the board, and then the green was enormous, it was like a peanut, and then they played it at the at the very back the next day, and it was almost unhittable because um, mm. the wind had changed around it a bit, and they went from hitting wedges to hitting you know four irons, five, fantastic. That's exactly how you should be mm. setting up. Up, yeah. Um, yeah. of course, and hey, full credit to the to the Americans. It's it's their home field advantage. They should set it up however the hell they want. Mm. Did did Europe did Patrick Harrington? Did he pick the wrong team, or was he a victim of previous oh. success and he had no choice but to sort of roll out the team he rolled out, or did he misread the course and not pick some younger, more exciting golfers? I think he was hamstrung to a certain degree by, uh, I think he he only had three captain's picks, didn't he? So he had nine automatic qualifiers. Um, and this basically, this is a three-year cycle rather than a two-year yeah. cycle. And you'd have to say there's a lot of the a lot of those nine qualifiers that probably qualified on form from at least two years ago. Um, and yeah, they they the difference was you, you had an American team with a whole, whole lot of young guys who are banging form and, and, going up in the world and you had a whole load of Europeans who were, were older and who've qualified a couple of years ago and their, their form's been on the wane and, that, and that's never a good recipe for a, for a match of that sort. No, I agree. I mean, I think that, I mean, that's the next question I had is, is do we foresee that there could be a changing of the guard in the way captain's picks work? So traditionally for both teams, there was four captain's picks, I believe. Um, this particular time, because of the strange three-year cycle, I think Steve Stricker pushed for six so we could pick more informed guys as opposed to having a three-year qualification. Mm. And old Padre went the other way and, and went, I think, to nine. It was crazy. So, I mean, I, mm. I would imagine that the US would be inclined to try to keep to this maybe six-and-six six format in the mm. sense that it allows you to pick not only the informed golfers, but certainly horses for courses. Mm. Yeah, and look, hindsight's a great thing, isn't it? You know, if the results... Uh, a heck of a lot closer or the other way around than we're saying what a genius Patrick Harrington yeah. is. Um, the question I'd have for, you, for the two of you was, uh, had we had this hindsight, who would you have picked? Who, who, oh, would, you, the, yeah. who would you have brought in? For the Europeans you're referring to? Yep. Well, for personally for me, I, even in hindsight, I can't see that he... I, I, I don't blame him for a second for the team he picked. I, I, I really don't. I look today at the rank race to Dubai rankings for the, the top, something mm-hmm. like the top 35 to 40 players. Thought, yep. Okay, well, who else is on there that he should have picked? And 
this is this is all of the eligible players out of basically in the top 35. Ram, Hatton, Hovland, well, they were there anyway. Migliozzi. Yep. Uh, Richard Bland, Wiesberger and Fleetwood were there. Fitzpatrick was there. Bob McIntyre, Rory was there. Justin Rose just missed out. Dietrich, Thomas Dietrich, Callum Hill, and then the Hoygaard brothers uh, and Laurie Cantor. Basically They're not striking fear into my heart. No one, there's no one there pre-tournament that would have gone. Oh my god, how could you leave him out? I think Westwood getting in as a as a automatic pick was probably an interesting dilemma for Harrington. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had to take him in the end, so it wasn't really a dilemma at all. But it'd yeah. be interesting to see if he'd been a captain's pick or not. I mean, the only guy that in Europe that may be Victor Perez, I believe he's a bit more of the younger sort of the sub thirty department. So maybe mm-hmm. him um, mm-hmm. was probably one that stood out for me. But yeah, I mean, look how things have changed, right? I mean, the European team looks like they're, they're old and they've got no players coming from anywhere all of a sudden. And, and it two weeks ago, it was, you know, it was like, where the hell, how do you beat these guys? So, yeah, yeah I mean, they've got, they've got some young guys coming through. The Huygard brothers will probably be a good example of that. I mean, they, no doubt they will find more talent and being at home, they'll they only have to get one or two games to go a different way. I mean, that, that's the thing with these, you know, when you wear one point for a, a match play golf win, right? Like it's a brutal yes, no kind of dilemma. Like you don't have to be that much worse to lose a game. No, I mean, yeah, this is, uh, was it Dustin Johnson went, got one point from five in the last Ryder Cup and five points from five this time. So, yeah, are you saying he was a crap golfer last time and a great golfer this time? It's not, like you say, you don't, you can play well and lose. You can play poorly and win. Um, you can have the right partner to help you in your, in your game in a foursomes or a four ball they that could carry you and you get a point you didn't deserve. So it's it's really difficult at times to judge players purely on how many points they've won. Have that that said, I think there were some some Europeans who'll probably look at their look at their Ryder Cup and think that they kind of didn't do their legacy a lot of good either. But um but again, you know, they don't pick themselves, do they? That's this is the other thing. It's like all sport in the end, that the a qualification um format is set up those guys qualify they didn't select themselves so they can't really be criticized either so no that's a fair point and i think the europeans i mean you know ultimately they've what they've won six of the last nine or something with yeah. the number is now so they're still yeah. sitting in a pretty good place and it could just be they're not an outlier i mean it, the, i think the americans won't be able to claim they've really broken the hoodoo till they go to europe and they haven't won in europe what since the 80s or something crazy haven't they like it's a long yeah. time ago mm-hmm. So I think that's the big one for them. And I imagine these these young guys will be mm. as motivated as ever to go and, and do that over there. So it'd be interesting to see who they pick as their captain. They probably won't look too far from the current um, squad. I don't know if Phil is too early to be a captain. I don't know kind of when, when mm. what you have to do to be a captain, but he'd be an interesting Would candidate. they consider keeping Stricker on maybe if he wants to do it? I don't think I think I don't think it's a rule, but I think it's a pretty strong unwritten rule that you don't do two Ryder Cups in a row. Ah, uh, okay. Right. So yeah. I think often you transition to a vice-captain or you come from mm-hmm. vice-captain. But, I mean, Zach Johnson's probably due. I think uh, Phil's mm-hmm. due. Um, mm-hmm. So those guys will probably be in the mix somewhere. I mean, uh, my good friend Tiger will be due at some point, but probably oh, not for a while perfect. yet. Europe, Europe are in. They're in. <laughs> They're back. Not yet. What do we think about the prospects for the President's Cup next year? With the with with US team that strong, I mean, that could be an absolute massacre, couldn't it? Well, I mean, no. I, 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 it's funny you should say that, Grant. I was looking through the potential President's Cup team today. 
I reckon they've got a great team. I think that they are much better than Europe, much stronger than Europe. Interesting. Yep. I think they've got a really good team. I'm not saying they're going to beat America, but I think that they'll yep. be in a heck of a lot better run. They have right. got some really good young up and coming players. Mm. Um, I mean, if you look at the just on the world golf rankings, you got Oost Hazen, Abraham Anser. Abraham Anser's up to 12 in the world. Unbelievable. Mm. Um, Matsuyama, Cam Smith. Um, Sung J.M., Neimanen, Corey Connors. These are all guys just in the top 30 alone. Leishman, yeah. Dusenhout, Scott. Like, they got a good team. Yeah, they, they have. Got, yeah. They've got a better team yeah. than Europe. Yeah. I think you've got a fair point. I mean, they also probably got a little bit of that camaraderie together at the last President's Cup where yeah. they now want it too. And I think the US will want it, which makes the internationals mm. want it more. And I, I think it, mm. it has a chance to be. As big, probably not as big an event. I'll take that back. But I don't see any reason why it can't be pretty close. Yeah. Well, they've got what I like about their team is when I was going through it, well, they've got lengthwise a very similar team to America. They, I think they'll be able to match them in the firepower. They just might not match them in the and how big a names they actually are as opposed to America. But I think that they'll they'll give them a decent run. Yeah. Well, that's a good question. Is whether the biggest fear probably now is that the Americans, and you saw it a bit at the last President's Cup, which I will credit to Tiger, but if they have kind of got that team morale sort of thing sorted out with these team events matter to them, that's a huge you know, win for, for all the future American teams, regardless whether it's President's Cup or Ryder Cup. And then and I will ask this, do you think Tiger being a leader at the President's Cup, because a lot of the same guys got their sort of their debut action there, do you think that contributed, that, that team morale, to this event? Unlikely. I mean, it's Tiger. So, <laughs> I knew I was expecting that answer, but no, very unlikely. I, I doubt it had zero percent to do with it whatsoever. Well, I'm going to say it did. I think Tiger started the ball rolling with his his leadership, and, uh, and Steve Stricker just picked up and ran with it. Um, right, just to wrap up, a few questions for the week. Uh, MVP. One one player's name. The MVP for the week. Who have you got? Um, uh, John Rahm. He, if it wasn't for him, honestly, it could have been, they would have been lucky to win five five matches. I mean, he got absolutely steamrolled by Scheffler in his singles. I mean, what can you do when a guy comes out like he did? But honestly, if he hadn't been playing, they might have struggled to get four or five points. So, yeah, going for arms. I can never, I just, in any sport, I struggle with the MVP coming from kind of a non-winning team. I just, I, I know, it's weird. Concept. I don't, I don't like, I don't even like saying it, but it, it was too obvious to say DJ going five and zero. So, yeah, I'll go. I'll go Ram. Grant. Uh, yeah. I mean, he. I would tend to agree. Actually, I mean, he he was the guy. Like without him, basically, they they would have it would have been. Yeah, just they would have just wiped the, the floor with them. Um, but yeah, I mean, no, Justin Thomas is the man for me. But I mean, he played well, but he was really to me, he was the man who set the tone on the course and off the course for them. And yeah. and to me, that was the big difference this year was was the way they really did appear to be a, a team. And he was even, it, it appears, the one who orchestrated the the, the, the Bryson um, Brooks man man love moment or whatever you want to call it. So, um, yeah, he, he to me, he was the MVP for them by far. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to disagree with that. I mean, visually, it felt like he was leading a lot of the team. Um 
drinking the beers on the Saturday afternoon on the tea, that kind of stuff. I think that, that you know, it's you laugh at it, but it actually has an important component to the overall event. So I think they are up there. I mean, I think Cantlay has elevated himself again into yeah, probably another agreed. level of elite golfer. So I think that he's up there for me. Um, and and I, it's funny, I struggle to give it to DJ as the MVP because you just don't see enough of him as a personality. But you probably do have to say, I mean, I, I've talked about this before, but when, when all is said and done, everyone's playing their most relaxed golf. DJ probably in my mind is still the most dangerous golfer in the world because the guy just gets in a groove. It's just incredible. Mm. I mean, you wouldn't necessarily say he's better than Ram because Ram probably fights better and DJ can just appear to go missing sometimes. But my Lord, when he's playing good golf, it's it's just the smoothest thing to watch. So, yeah, probably Thomas, but but DJ would be a close second for me. Yeah, I, and I agree with what you said with Cantlay. My goodness, he looks good out there. Um, and if you want to talk about somebody, I think that's going to piggyback off the back of this. He showed some emotion, which I loved seeing, actually. It was good to know that he's not a robot. Um, I like seeing that from him. I have a I have a feeling he's he could go all the way to number one based on how he's played in the last probably four weeks. He looked incredible. I do agree. Yeah, he, he was he was a man that, as you said, Vaughan, the most impressive thing for me was I, I saw the guy finally show some emotion, yep. and yep. and it, a lot of them did. And you know, it just makes me wish, gee, wish you know that I could see that more often, week in week out, from regular tour events. Yeah. Um, I just think it would make golf that much more enjoyable. Now, what about the biggest disappointment of the week? Which player probably goes home uh, either disappointed in their performance or just generally disappointed by their contribution to the week? Well, I think there'd be a few in the European team, um, mm-hmm. to be honest. I mean, and look, you can't say they didn't try; they gave it their all, but they just they just weren't in they just weren't in the form they needed to be in. And you could probably say that of Rory, Tommy Fleetwood, Lee Westwood, Tyrrell Hatton. Um, Poulter, I guess Poulter, you know, I I think probably will we'll regret maybe that he talked it up a bit, um, you know, gave it the big in sort of thing beforehand. And, and fair enough, I know that's the way you live on, live by the sword, you die by the sword. And he got the point on the last day, but you could tell that even that was was little consolation really for for not putting in the 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 contribution that he needed to put in on the on the earlier two days. So for me, this that all the disappointment is on the European side. Yeah, yeah, it's it's hard to signal out just one European because they were really bad, but I'm going to. Um, and that was Matthew Fitzpatrick. Mm. I was very concerned coming into the event that he hadn't done anything along with a few of the others. He's played in two Ryder Cups and hasn't won a point yet. Um, he had one of the war- more winnable matches at the end against Daniel Berger. Um, and he hit his ball out of bounds on the 18th with a chance to at least get a half point. Um Maybe it's just not the format for him. I didn't think he looked very good at all, to be completely honest. And considering he's kind of in that age bracket that you really want him probably to kick on for another three or four Ryder Cups, he looked out of place. I believe he's a sort of player that could actually end up creating a rule change for the Europeans, whereby, you know, if he's sort of rolling into automatic qualification year in, year out, I could absolutely see them going, hang on, we haven't quite got this right. We need the flexibility to pick the guys we want because he did look, I mean, he already looks about 10 years old, but he looked like a boy amongst men, just he in did, general. He did, didn't he? Yeah, he gee, did. And how many times did they keep going on about what a great putter he was and only to see him to miss putts time and time again? You know? um, yeah. My yeah. biggest disappointment, I will say, is probably Rory, and, and I think he, he showed it himself. I mean, I just think his... His role in that European team is is 
he is the Justin Thomas. I mean, I think the team will follow him into battle. I mean, even though Ram is, is the best player, I think Rory is the, the global leader of that team. And I think he knew that in his the way he reacted at the end there, that his role had to be not just to win, but to lead. And I think he failed. And, and look, I'm happy he won that point at the end. I, I really kind of actually, for the betterment of Rory's career, I think it was important that he won that point. But I genuinely think he's at a crossroads. We've talked about Rory before, but I think mm-hmm. he's at a crossroads where if you analyse his first half of his professional career and the second half, I mean, he's not, he hasn't disappeared. He's still ranked reasonably high. He wins a tournament a year, but I mean, that is a career that if he doesn't address it pretty fast, I mean, you could turn around and go, that was one of the more disappointing second halves of a professional career that you'll see based on the elevation of talent he had early and how good you thought he would be. So I don't, I no longer think it, he doesn't want to play good at golf. I just, he's got to, I think, figure out what's important to him. And maybe he's been guilty of tinkering and doing too much. I mean, I don't know. Maybe this is a turning point for him, that emotion. But he was my disappointing player. Yeah, I think everything you've said there is a 100% fair point. And I did wonder if some of that emotion wasn't just about the Ryder Cup, but was about exactly what you're saying, that he is at a crossroads. Um, he's falling down the rankings. He's not winning as much as he should. He's seeing now younger guys start to come through that are you know, filling – the position that he was supposed to be, you know, taking up. I do wonder if there's more to it than just the Ryder Cup, that that he is at that point where something has to give. For, I, I, do, I believe, in one in four or five podcasts ago when we talked about guys that could slip out, I think it was you, Grant, that you said um, that you could see Rory slipping out of the top 50. And, mm. you know, if he played like he did again uh, in those first three days, he didn't look like a top 50 golfer. He had it everywhere. He couldn't make a putt. He didn't look good. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, it, it's obvious the guy cares. You, you can't. Yeah, you can't, no doubt. You, no doubt. There's no doubt that it, that that's not the issue. I mean, it could be. And let's think about our own games, and and with, without ever comparing ourselves to Rory, but you can care too much sometimes, can't you? And you can let that you can let that frustration at at not playing as well as you know you can. Kill, kill your joy in the game and, and it's something we've talked about this year um, isn't it is, is learning to learning to get some joy out of the game even when you're not playing well just the, just just doing something you love and and maybe for him he's kind of lost that joy I mean he hasn't lost the passion but but clearly he, something's got to change and and you wonder if maybe it, it, it is more a headspace thing than just a than just a golf swing because I mean he can swing the club and hit the ball you know yeah as well as everyone, everybody else at times, but he just doesn't seem to be in the headspace to, to, to do it. I know um, an ex-pro that I work with, Scott Hill, uh, great man, interesting thoughts on the game of golf. I mean, he was, he's always said to me that a, a good pro golfer has 10 years, unless they're a, you know, an elite talent, where that 10 years, it's just about the, the amount of swings in their body and the amount of time they can put into the game and the amount of tinkering they're prepared to do and the hard graft. Yeah. And they might play for 30 years, but... Only a very few golfers can genuinely compete for longer than 10 years or well, 10 years at elite level. That might start when you're 35 and go to 45, but mm. just everything else that goes with it. And if you're Rory, you've got you know probably hundreds of millions of dollars to your name. You have a young family. You've already sort of expressed that some of the some of the life of being golf star doesn't suit you. And you're right. You probably are conflicted between wanting to achieve selfish results in golf and then everything else that comes with it that mm. probably pays a detriment to your family and everything else. So, look, I wish the guy well because I think we all think golf is better when Rory's in form. So, 
Yep. I just think the next 12 months and, and maybe the next 24 months are just vital to what happens to that man. What do you reckon he should do? Do you think he should just scale back the amount of tournaments he's playing? Should he maybe just go back and play half a season on the European tour or something to maybe find some to find some confidence? Well, what, what can he do? What can he do to, to mix it up? It's a very good question. And I think, it, truthfully, I don't know because there's so much of it, I think, is, is deep down in the whole balance of life. I mean, he mm. he's expressed, as I said, that in the past he, he, he he's talked about how some of the aspects of being a pro golfer aren't that much fun. And, you know, he had high-profile relationships that, that failed. Then he's got his new kid now and a daughter. And I think, I mean, who knows, bloody knows. It just feels like there's lots of conflicting emotions about who the Rory is that he wants to be and maybe who the Rory is that the world wants to see, which is uh, yeah. the next next coming of Tiger. Yep. And so, I mean, if, you, if he wants to be good at golf, he should probably just be selfish and just play golf and just go for it. But whether that's going to make him happy long-term, I don't know. So I think I think being happy is the first goal. And I think if he can achieve happiness, I think the golf, what, what a golfer he'll be will, would be what he'll be. So... I don't know. I mean, I think he's got to figure out what makes him happy, and then if golf is part of that, the the riddle, which I'm sure it will be, that's how you do it. So I don't, from what I understand, moving back to Europe, probably, I mean, I think you're pretty happy in the States. It's just, I don't know, man. I mean, if you were that good at something when you were 14, 15, 16, and people were telling you you're going to be that good, do you get to a point where you've just, you've lived a life? I mean, he's probably lived more in 10 years or 15 years than, you know, most people would in 100 years. Yep. Mm. And you've, you've almost got to be. I'll, I'll end with this. You've almost got to be a little bit selfish or a lot selfish. And de- I'll bring up tigers of this world who caused other problems in their life to actually yep. keep going for 30 or 40 years. That, yep. this. Agreed. That's exactly the point I was going to make. Yeah, Completely agree. We, we, we're comparing everybody to Tiger Woods to a certain degree. And I, I, Jack Nicholas, yeah, but let, in modern times, really Tiger. And yep. so we look at Rory and, and he's won, what, four or five majors, I think? Um, Maybe. And so, and we're saying, well, so, but he's disappointed us because he's not racing towards Tiger's mark of 15. Mm. Well, you can also look at it and say, man, the guy's won five majors. Yeah. If he never wins, if he never does another thing ever, he's still a Hall of Fame golfer, but we compare him to Tiger. Yep. But then we're also saying, but we want him to be happy and have a great family life and all those things. Whereas, no disrespect to the guy, but Tiger was possibly the most selfish golfer on the planet. I mean, yep. he, he, everything really was about winning golf tournaments and his, it, all the, all the issues that that caused off the course were really compensation, I think, to keep him focused on, on what he was doing on the golf course. So, I mean, I'm not sure that, mate, the, that we're, we're doing Rory a justice by, by sort yep. of comparing yeah, cool. him to, to those kind of, you know, to that mark, really. But that's what we do as a society, it is, isn't right. it? Just who, course, is, course it is. who is the next X, Y, Z? Who is the next? Yeah. It, it's what yeah. we do. So yeah. it's interesting you say that. Do you think that anyone in our lifetime will reach double-figure major wins again in the men's game? No. It's hard. To, I, I'm, I'm going to say yes, based on the fact that I think in this sound about to turn 40, hopefully I've got 50 good years in me. I feel like someone will because almost – inevitably statistically someone will but i don't i wouldn't say it's better than 50 50 chance that that happens i mm. i don't know i just i'm it, it, it between the depth of talent injuries people being in, having their head in the game for 10 plus years 
Mm. This probably seems unlikely, but oh, maybe I'll change my mind. Maybe no. I mean, Brooks looked like he could for a second there, but then who knows yeah. with him? Couldn't stay. I mean, if Morikawa goes out and wins another two or three in the next couple of years, yep. and he's on all of a sudden he's on five five majors in the space of say five years, then you you could look at him. But man, it's easy. Well, it's not easy, but you see guys race up to three, four, five, like like your Rory's. Brooks, even Phil Mickelson in there, but boy, over over career to stay fit and to stay yeah. in form, to yeah. get to keep winning them year in year out. I mean, Ty, Tiger was just a statistical anomaly, wasn't he? When, yeah. when it came to that sort of thing, you know. Yep. So, a couple more questions on on the Ryder Cup before we wrap it up. I guess the, the, the two I had is how good is Team Golf, and is there a role for Team Golf? outside of the country versus country. I mean, we all love that as the Zurich Classic. That's the old the one on the PGA Tour. But is it is part of the attraction of team golf that we don't get to see it very often and that actually golfers don't normally play in a team? Could you artificially create other interesting team games? Like it wouldn't be as exciting as country versus country, but like let's say Team TaylorMade play Team Callaway. Would people buy into that? I mean, the old, I'll bring up the Saudis again with their, their idea around team golf. I mean, there's something in it. Yep, I reckon that there's room for, well, there's at least room for experimentation. And I was thinking about this today. Um, I really love uh, the WGC world match play, you know, top 64 mm. players. Yeah. Off love it. Why can't we do the same with the top 64 players in a team format where you have 16 teams of four and mm. you you go out and play it? I, I, don't, I, I don't know what the format is. Four singles matches. And if it's tied, you go and play a nine-hole best ball, and then you move on. Now, how you choose those four teams, it can be by rankings, or you put them in a big lottery bowl and pick out numbers, and whoever's in your team is in your team. I don't know. Why not? Why not give it a crack? Mm. Look, I love team golf. I absolutely love it. Um, Ryder Cup, Solheim, the the Zurich Classic – Going back in the day, I don't know if you guys remember it or not, but there was the um, the one that they used to play with that was teams of three yes. players, and it was but it was eighteen hole stroke play, stroke play match play, if you know what I mean. Oh. But then they was played it at St Andrews. Um, that was brilliant. So that was country against country sort of thing. Um, and there's the, the old um, world, the World Cup of golf, same sort of thing again. Um, anything like that that has that team element, I just love it. So it, anything more they can add into that, I think would be great. Fair enough. Okay, last question of Ryder Cup, or sort of question one and question one A. Uh, is Brooks and Bryson, is the issue dead? Will we hear, will will they resolve, or will, will it kickstart again? Do you think that's solved? And did Bryson basically play the cards we talked about perfectly in terms of resurrecting his image with the public? I think he did. I think he couldn't have been any better. And I think as long as he's not a dick from here on in, he should live a pretty happy life as a professional golfer. But Brooks and Bryson, is it dead? Oh, I hope so. No, definitely not. It's so for the cameras. Are you kidding me? Um, this will spark up in the next three to six months again, without a shadow of a doubt. No, there's no way. No way that that's over and done with. Um, yeah, Bryson did a great job. I mean, he probably hit the shot of the tournament without a shadow of a doubt. Oh, uh, that was sensational, that wasn't was, it? Are we talking about the shot on the par five where he cut the yeah. corner or the one one yeah. where he drove the green? Oh, that was pretty good too. I was meaning the shot on the par five. Yeah. Um, but th- there was not too much wrong with the other one either. Um, oh, I don't know if a leopard can change his spots, Casey. 
I'm not convinced that this is going to turn the public long-term for him. I think it'll change it short-term, but it's kind of the ball's in his court now. So mm. let's see what he does with it now and if he can kind of change a little, a little bit of his personality and, and um, mannerisms to, to carry on the goodwill that he's kind of built himself. I think that, for me, the jury's out on that one. I hope he does. But, yeah, the feud ain't over. No no way. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you, Vaughan. I think, I think he's done enough in this Ryder Cup to get himself back on an even keel with the public now. And um, he'll get given a fair chance now going forward, but it's up to him to not be a dick. And whether he can do that or not is, um, well, that's a week-to-week proposition, I'd, I'd suggest. I did get great uh, satisfaction of seeing the Step Brothers t-shirts that the American team were wearing in their <laughs> post-party, post-celebration uh, party. I thought they were brilliant. So uh, well, I'm, sure, I'm sure the rest of the players probably give those two shit about what's being created. And I could oh, imagine yeah. Justin Thomas basically saying, just pull your head in, you guys. So, yeah. yeah, it's interesting. I think you've got Thomas. The other guy that sneakily might have a bit of a leadership, but you don't realise it, is old Xander Schofflay. I, I have a, a mm. vibe that he's a bit of a silent assassin as a leader. So, uh, yeah, I think mm. between... Him, Thomas, Spieth, etc. That seems a good step. Anyway, we'll wrap up. What, I'd agree, what I'd agree with you on that one is the silent part. The world's <laughs> most boring man. He did chug. He did chug a um. What do they call them? A hard, hard seltzer. Soda, I know. Hard seltzer on the on the tea. You know. So. <laughs> yeah, he, he strikes me as the kind of man that would knock back a shandy rather yes. than a full beer. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Right, we'll leave. We'll leave right account for now. Um, we'll do a quick pro wrap for the rest of the world. And to be fair, there ain't been much happening. And uh, and what has been happening is powder comparisons. A couple of interesting things happening this week. But everyone's favourite part of the show, the Elka Watch. Go Vaughn. Oh, our boy, our boy Stephen Elka. Um, he's made a big time. He actually there was actually a write up on, on uh, PGAtour.com this week. Uh, such as such as uh, his current run. Uh, he was actually ranked number seven in the power rankings for, for this week's event. They were actually giving him some credit. And he came through with the goods once again for his fifth straight top ten with a tie for fifth, um, which has lurched him up to 59th uh, in the season-long uh, Charles Schwab um, points list, which is fantastic. So I'm not sure if you're aware of this. Um, so the top 50 get automatically their cards for next year. So he is rapidly racing towards that number 50 spot, which is amazing, which, is, which would guarantee it. So five events in, $404,057 for Stephen Elka. Um, I was doing some quick calculations with some of the other golfers. So he's, he's racking up 80 grand uh, um, tournament after he racked up just under 80 grand in 29 starts on the Corn Ferry Tour. Um, he's basically going at the same rate rate as Bernhard Langer who is the leader who goes at about 83k a tournament so he's going all right our boy Keep going. Unreal. So uh, Lydia Lydia a little tied uh what she come tied 25th at the yeah, uh, some event unfortunately the Walmart been... open I think it yes, was yes it? it was only a three rounder right I don't know if they yeah. didn't play on Sunday or not but uh but yeah, that was, I guess, it, not a bad result, but probably not something she would uh, remember too much. Um, this week, we've got, um, we're back on the PGA Tour, which just seems absolutely ridiculous. I couldn't think anyone other than the, probably the person winning the money is going to care about the Sanderson Farms Classic. The biggest event for me on the golf radar this week is the World Long Drive Championship with our friend Bryson DeChambeau competing. Are you guys yeah. going to be tuning for that? Is it, 
is it on the TV? If it is, I'll yeah, certainly be. I believe it will be. It's been on traditionally somewhere on yeah. deep on Sky. I, I think yep. I wouldn't see why it won't be. I'm sure it'll actually be the big boost for those other long drivers. I'm sure they're loving it. So it'll be really interesting to see how he goes and whether he. I assume he'll take a slightly longer driver, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see. It'll actually be the first time you'll get a really understanding of do they jack up those golfers with I don't know different balls or something like that. Like it'll be interesting to see mm. where he compares. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it will be interesting. Well, boy, that's certainly going to be um, more interesting, I think, than the Sanderson Farms. I don't know if you guys looked at the field for that today, but, oh, my God, it is dire. Um, best, Sergio, the best thing is, Grant, you get... there as, as uh, defending champion, but after that, boy, are the piggings lean. You get to pick third this week, Grant, in our little competition, so you might uh, yeah. you might have to do some um, serious research. I think on the other side of the ditch, there is... So I was going to say, on the other side of the ditch, though, there is um, the Alfred Dunhill links. Which is which will be worth watching though, which is the one they play at St King's Barnes, St Andrews, and Carnoustie, and that's actually got three Kiwis in it this week: Foxy, Josh Geary, and Denzel Uramia. So um, that should be worth it. Doesn't uh, Foxy normally oh. plays that with Shane Warne? Doesn't he? Is that the pro am event? Oh, I think that is the pro am one, and he does normally play with Warner. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know whether COVID's kept Warney out of England, but. Uh... I do know, he, yeah, they've got quite a good relationship with that one. So that that yeah. would be a good program event to play. I know that there was a bit of a, yeah. there was a um, bit of backwards and forwards between the two of them. Was it last week or the week before where Warney was on talk, talking up the Indians and saying, you know, how how great they were, the Indian cricket team, and that they were clearly the best best cricket team in the world. And, and Foxy was very quick to remind him that New Zealand had actually won the Test Championship, not India. So, he should. Yeah, Rory, actually, Rory and his father won last year, didn't they? Or well, they were tied first, I think, in 2019. Jerry, so. mm, nice. yeah, I do remember watching that. I'd, I'd have to, I'd have to um, go back and actually figure out who's who's competing with Foxy. But anyway, um, right. So, other issues to discuss this week. It is actually the last week of our season, uh, last week of our season, our first season of Golf Drifter. Now we've mm-hmm. we've hinted that we're going to come back in a, probably a month's time. We're going to go and uh, re-energize, and we're going to go come back with a new brand and a few new segments, maybe a new host. But we're going to give this thing a decent crack. We're going to try to take a bit of a New Zealand theme and talk up a few different segments. We'll probably do a little bit of a, a gear segment review. We will definitely talk about New Zealand course reviews. We, won't, we probably won't go as deep into the PGA. Uh, world as we have every week because we know it's not everyone's cup of tea but we're really going to try to produce a, a podcast for the uh, the common New Zealand golfer so so watch out for that we'll be back in a month thank you for those listeners that have listened over the, the first sort of 20 odd weeks we've got progressively more listeners every week and it has been fun um, one segment we won't be dropping is some of the questions that we get from the um, the audience we've got three of those to go this week so probably the first question um, is is what are the unwritten rules of being a single when you get placed in a group of guys? You know, you run down to the course, you want to round, and you, you you dumped in with some other guys that are having a game. What are the unwritten rules of a single? When, and I suppose on that note, what are the worst golfers to be paired with? Not not a particular pro. I'm referring to the sort of golfer. If you are paired with a random person that you uh, don't know, so uh, yeah, unwritten goal, rules of golf for being a single in a group and the worst golfers to be paired with. Far away. Shall I go first? Yeah, oh, go. I've got, so I've got, yeah, I, I gave this one some thought and there's three, three things for me that you say that the guys, the worst people to be paired with, there's the guy who's slow, but actually not very good. So you've, he's, he's, he's the man who takes five practice swings on every tee and stalks every putt. 
and it's on a 25 handicap or a 30 handicap sort of thing. Uh, he's, the, he's the guy who uses a rangefinder on a 200-yard shot when he can't even get to hit his driver that far. I think we've all played with played with the guy. So he's he's the first one, and unfortunately, there's a few of them around. The second one, uh, and if it's just a one-off, it's okay, but the guy you don't want to play a lot with is the guy who can't count. Oh, yes. Yeah, that would be my two. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I don't want to play with the guy that's the 30 handicapper who then knows every single rule of golf and oh, uh, wants to uh, impart his great knowledge of the world of golf that you've moved your ball half an inch, that'll be a stroke penalty. And yes, your ball's one inch outside the uh, outside the line there. So yeah, that'll be three sh- that'll be three shots. You've got to go back to the tee, which is 250 metres back. And look, mate, I'm just I'm here to play golf. Yeah, I'll take I'll take my penalty, but don't don't give me a, a rundown on every single rule of golf. Um, that drives me up the wall. Yep, that's the guy I don't want to play with. Uh, for me, it's swing tips. Anyone giving me oh. swing tips, you don't have a play. You, you you need to be very good. I'm talking close to a pro, and I need to ask you before you give me a swing tip. Do not. I mean, there are people that have given me swing tips over the years. You know, they'd be 20 shots worse than I am on the day, and they're giving you a tip, and just no way. <laughs> Especially if it's like probably even worse than the swing tip is like the mental game tip, the one about relaxing or something like that. You'll hit a bad shot, and you'll get angry, and they'll be like, you just need to relax. You're ref- I mean, piss off, like, for God's sake. <laughs> Do not try to give me some mental game tips. So that, I mean, I think <laughs> going back to it, I've, I've done this before. When you are a single, or actually not even if you're single, when you get paired with a random guy, your only job is to be as just as pleasant as you can be. You do mm. not force a game upon the person. Yeah. You mm. do not force gambling upon them. You don't necessarily mm. force them to play in particular orders. You do not force rules on them. If that stuff naturally evolves and it comes up, great, but nothing is forced. Your job is to not even talk about golf scores, I reckon. Like It's just mm. to, to do your own thing, um, and particularly mm. if you get paired with a Two or three. I mean, God forbid, the worst thing in golf is when there's a three and you get paired with a single. That is, I mean, even a pair gives you some room, but a three and a mm. one, the worst mm. thing in golf. But um, mm. just don't be seen. And, yeah, just, just put your own game second ready for those days. I think if you do that, that's probably the best way to be and, and accept that your score and your match isn't really that important compared to anyone else if they're playing in their own sort of little group. Yeah. The other thing is is talking. Like if, if if it's one of those days where you you don't want to talk and you're stuck with talkers, or vice versa, you're a talker and you get people that, that give you nothing back. Like read the situation of the other people that you're actually with. I think that some people are just completely oblivious to the type of person that they're playing with. Like some people want to have a chat, some don't. Like give it a couple of holes before you figure out the nature of the people you're talking with and if they want to have a chat or not. Um, Oh, right. That can. It's like sitting on the plane next to that to that guy after you've had a hard hard day's work or something. Who wants to talk to you for the hour and twenty minutes on the flight home? I don't want to talk to you, mate. Let's uh, let's just cut it out. I know you're lying. You haven't done a hard day's work in your life. What's, yeah, that's true. Fictitious. That's, this fictitious story. You that's true. Up. That's true. Yeah, fair call. Fair call. I'll give you that. <laughs> uh, I will say this, and, and and my good friend Justin, I don't mind mentioning his name because he knows <laughs> this. This is a thing that he tries to not to do, but is also. None of us are good enough to be angry about our golf all day. We can be angry for a short amount of time, but you've got to try to fight through that for the betterment of your mates and, and to enjoy a game of golf. And so he'll, he'll laugh when I say this because it's something I bring up. I mean, you just, when you get to play golf as infrequently as I do now, 
like I'm, I'm often the guy that's the most angriest, but you just got to smile. You got to fake smile because someone else is having a good day or you're trying to have a good day. So I think that is another thing. Like mm. none of us have put in the work to be 20 under, you know, over a four round tournament, we might have the odd good round. And I promise when we will talk about this before the end of the show for you particularly, but um, none of us have earned the right to be that angry about the way we play. Yeah. Have you, um, as a side note, have you given Justin any mental tips on the on the golf course? Oh my God. Casey? He's probably punched me. It's, uh, no, I have not. We have gone. Just give him another beer. <laughs> yeah, we have, we have gone, you know, nine plus holes, not a word being said. It's a very interesting environment. <laughs> Ah, oh, brilliant, brilliant. Um, right, two questions to go. What is the most annoying golf injury for amateurs? So you can still play, but it's just the one thing you never want to have happen to you. Mm, I can go first lot. in this one. I've been thinking about actually. It's the back for me. I mean, it's a yeah. classic answer. It sucks. But when your back is hurting, it's just the worst. And we've all been there where your back starts to lock up. And I mean, yeah, blisters suck and things like that. But I think the back, you just know that you can't fix that in a hurry. So I'm going to go with uh, I'm going to go with back. And saying that, a couple of things that have made me laugh. I do remember one particular round, it was many years ago, and I don't know why, it's not a problem I really have, but I had a chafing round. A, uh, in, a, in a green <laughs> chafing round, that was probably the most painful one that comes to mind. Um, I also had a blister round with a pair of new shoes, which thankfully the, uh, the lovely golf warehouse took back off me. But a blister round when I was two holes in, I knew I was in trouble at Muraway, and it was a long walk ahead of me. So, the chafing round though, it happened at uh, I think Manor Park in Wellington. It was just, I don't know what happened, but I just had a chafing round, and it was agony. So, you know, not they didn't stop me playing, but I probably should have stopped in both cases. So that's for me. Yeah, yeah I, um, I grant. Oh, so wait, where are you go, Vaughan? Um, yeah, I'm, you're right. The, obviously, any back injury at any time is uh, never good. But, yeah, the one that I always think of was breaking in a, a new pair of shoes and just ripping the back of my heels um, apart after about six or seven holes and not having a spare pair of shoes in the bag and having to grind out the last um, 11 or 12 holes knowing that the back of my heels were getting ripped to shreds, taking my shoes off and there was blood pouring through the back of my socks and knowing that I was probably going to have to back up and, and um, wear a pair of dress shoes that night. That was freaking painful. And it took ages to heal as well. So um, that was the worst one I can think of off the top of my head. Mm. Um, yeah. Oh, look, I've had, but like you, Casey, ongoing back, back issues for, for a while now. So that's that's the one for me. Um, and it's the fact that it restricts your mobility too and the amount of turn mm-hmm. you can get and all the, all the things that you really need in a good golf swing. Um, it's actually interesting. I, I was out having nine holes on the weekend and, and the person I was with had, had a camera phone and, and took a couple of videos of me of making swings. I hadn't looked at my swing in, in a long time. And, and I actually I thought that I was getting a really nice shoulder turn and was actually hitting the ball okay and watched it afterwards. And the swing was okay, but man, it was so short. And it was there was just so little so little turn in it that I thought, oh yeah, I mean that's 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 when my back's got me too. So that that's the one for me really. Absolutely. Now last last question before we finish on a, a positive note for our friend Vaughan, but um I've been honest that one of my goals for this podcast when we rebrand and get started is that I would eventually love to set up a golf tournament for amateurs. I've long admired the Bastel Classic, uh, what what those guys do with a, a really true fun amateur golf tournament um still played in a competitive spirit with big prizes but a, a fun event 
that's my goal for this this brand is to run that tournament in the next two to three years. So there's a there's something to go on record with. What does that event look like if we're going to host it? What what are the features it needs to have to make the most fun amateur golf tournament for a bunch of guys or girls? What do we have to put in that event? Mm. I think it. I think you need to have some kind of a team element to it. Yeah, playing, playing in a pair rather than an individual thing. So that I think I, I like the idea personally of playing with a mate um, in something like that. Um, I guess for me, the other real thing is you, you've got to have either a handicap limit on the upper end, or you've got to have maybe a couple of different bands so that you've got guys competing roughly against people of, of within a sort of similar band to them, if you know what I mean. Um, I guess what I'm skirting around saying is try and keep the burglars away from, away from it. Um, that's really the two things for me is, is the, the, the fun team element and then having getting it to be a fair competition. Yeah, I think teams, I agree with 100%. I, I think a stable fit type element for, of format, like something where a bad hole doesn't put you out of it. Yeah, you don't, totally. want, don't want it to finish up. I think yeah. that's important. I think absolutely a team baseball kind of format is, is important mm. too. I think a I think lots of fun side challenges, you know, closest to the pins and I yep. know the basketball guys have putting challenges and all sorts of things. I think as many mm. side challenges throughout the day as you can as you can offer is good. Um, yep. obviously plenty of alcohol is a good preference. <laughs> yeah. And I think the big thing for me is it's gotta be at a really fun course. Yeah. Um, I know this adds to the cost of the day and it might not actually be possible in New Zealand to get to one of those courses easily, but I think going to a memorable course is is, is a big part of it. And uh-huh. I think you're setting up as a full day events. People aren't trying to get half a day of work and you make it you almost make them start at ten o'clock in the morning. So you've got to take the day off, you've got to have fun and go to a course that's you feel a bit spoiled. I think that's part of it for me. So um, I know with the Basel Classic they had the big championship at, at uh, Pinehurst. I think we could do a championship in Queenstown. Uh-huh. So there's a, there's my goal to run a proper, fun, really good amateur golf tournament, but not amateurs as in kids aspiring to be pros i'm talking like guys that are you know five to 20 handicaps who just want to have a fun day out so yeah that's my aspirational goal yeah yep so I, awesome. I agree with all of that um probably the only other thing i'd add in is if we're, if we're serving alcohol let's make sure we have a decent brunch or or meal or uh, dinner or whatever it is mixed in with it but if i'm taking the whole day off I'll, i want it to be the whole day um yeah so let's make it let's make it bloody good um, and yeah, everything else completely agreed. Lovely, Radio, Last thing to discuss this season. It's a uh, give it a little. You probably thought I'd forgotten, Vaughan. I hadn't forgotten. I left it delivery last. You went out and golfed on the weekend. Congratulations! You had a, a sixty-eight at uh, at at Bottle Lake in Middle East. So no one's impressed, but well done, sixty-eight. Um, give us your quick review. Tell us what the highlights were, and most importantly, tell us why you got Bottle Lake. We should respect the score. The score you got. Um, well, at the end of the day, I don't care if you respect it or not, but um, considering I play golf with some play- golfers that are better than me, and I think I'm on about 5.7 or something at the moment, um, and none of them have ever shot um, around under 70 there, um, I would say that, that it was pretty good. And to be fair, I never shoot around uh, that low at this time of the year. Like they always come late December, January, February when it's a lot warmer and you got a lot more run. And I've played a lot more golf. It was officially my first round of what I would classify my new season, which coincides with daylight savings. Um, I don't know. I just played really well. And I'm going to have to give you a piece of credit for this, Casey, because on the quiet, I've actually done something I've never done before. I've actually been practicing. 
Oh. And I've changed my swing. Um, oh. I don't hit big ropey hooks anymore. I hit what I would call a small power fade, which I put down to our round at Windross Farm when you told me I couldn't drive that par four. And I hit an absolutely searing uh, power fade. So I've been on the quiet practicing that for a few months. And it came together uh, yesterday, to be honest. And I hit a bunch of searing um, power fades. Um, I made four birdies, uh, an eagle, four bogeys, and the rest were pars. I was five under through 11. Um, and then a- a myself and my partner started talking <laughs> about could I shoot the lowest round I've ever shot in my life, which is a five under 65. And as soon as we mentioned that, I honestly, I could barely hit the ball off the tee because uh, I started thinking about the end score. And I, I, I think I played the last six holes three over uh, for a two under par 68, um, which is awesome. Uh, yeah. I look forward to the, um, I look forward to the, the next chat when you're uh... Power fade turned into an uncontrolled slice and a massive massive confidence cry. And this is when (laughs) everyone knows the power fade is the correct goal shot. It really is. But when it starts to turn into a a slice, then you are in the ultimate confidence crisis then because not only are you losing balls, but you're losing them with no distance. And I mean, this is what I've fought my whole life. I naturally want to hook the ball, but I get too closed. And so you try to fade it, but then that just always turns into a slice. And then you're yeah, just shut it down, shut the face down, just had a dirty old draw again. But uh, That's why we play golf, though, isn't it? Is because you know that it's going to happen. It's just a matter of time, and then I'll abandon the power fade almost immediately and go back to ropey hooks and be be happy enough. So playing golf is all... Any day on the golf course is a good day, regardless. So yes. that's what we're about. Absolutely. Right here, boys. We'll wrap it up for the uh, the night and season. I've enjoyed the last few weeks. We will be back in a month. We'll uh, a few surprises up our belt, so we're not going to stop working. We're going to be making this thing bigger and better. So thank you for those who have listened. Um, you'll be in a part of the next show, I promise. We're going to have a little more interaction. We'll get a, uh, maybe our guest to come on. So, yeah, we do have a goal to make a, a great New Zealand golf podcast, and we think we can do it based on what we've learned in the last few weeks. So, Come back bigger and better, and we'll see you guys soon. But uh, thank you, man. Anything you want to add before we wrap it up? Oh, just personally for me, it's thanks, guys. I've, I've had a terrific, terrific time talking golf each week over the last two or three months. So it's been it's been great fun, and, and it's great to um, great to finally get out on the course this week, even if it was just a couple yeah. of nines. Boy, having four or five weeks away, that little bit of absence does you know make you really appreciate how good it is. And um, yeah, I loved it, and can't wait can't wait to get out again this weekend. So. It's all good. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to us all being able to talk about uh, our, um, our golfing rounds, which given you know another three or four weeks, we'll be moving in well into spring. We'll all have got out there and played quite a few rounds. Um, I think that, that that'll be particularly good to be able to talk about our, our own experiences again. Mm. And of course, we'll be uh, we're looking forward to Vaughan, get your flight sorted out for the two-course Omaha Walkworth Classic in January. So Grant, you'll yes. let me know when the... Uh, when that opens for signing yeah, up, we're going to get in there. For sure. Yep. Excellent. Okay, boys, thank you. Been a good all season. Right. We'll come back in a month's time. We'll do it all over again. All right, boys. Cheers. Right yeah. Thanks so much. Ta-da. Right.